0: And uh, uh, we're just so excited about all the great things that are going on here as we launch into a new year. And any time you get into the new year, you really want to go into it as optimistic as you can, as uh, uh, faithful as you can. And that's what we're going to get in today with Isaiah chapter 43. So let's pray and then we're going to launch into this this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everybody uh, that took time to be here Uh, this morning. Uh, I know right now that sleep is something that we all desire, and so Lord, I just pray that you'll keep us alert, keep us focused. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of your promises and the fact that we have a new thing that you have in store for us here on the west side. Be with us. Help everything that we do to bring glory to you, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I read this quote by Neil Donald Walsh, and he said, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I will say one thing about the West Side experience so far. Uh, we have never been in a comfort zone. Can I have an amen for that? Amen. Whenever you get comfortable, boom, we have to change something. Uh, it makes my head spin when I think already all the different maneuvers we've had to make. But I'll tell you what, I'd much rather be a part of a church that is growing and is out of their comfort zone than to be a part of a church that's just kind of setting on their... Their rumps and really not doing a lot and just kind of gathering moss. Would you be, rather be a part of an active church? Okay, wake up, everybody. Come on now. I know it's New Year's. So this was interesting. Roger Clark, um, a few weeks ago, we were talking about New Year's Day, and he said, hey, I found this interesting uh, article, and he sent it to me, and it really did get my attention. So let me share it with you this morning. Uh, her name was Sonia Todd. Sonia passed away from cancer at the age of 38. She did something that I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody doing, and that is she wrote her obituary before she passed away. She told her family and friends, don't, you, you don't have to worry about that. But then she wrote this on why she wrote her own obituary. And here's what she said. My name is Sonia Todd, and I died of cancer at the age of 38. I decided to write my own obituary because they are usually written with a couple of different ways that I just don't care for. Either family or friends gather together. They list every minor accomplishment from cradle to grave in a timeline format. They try to create one poetic last stanza about someone's life that is so glowing one would think the deceased had been the living embodiment of a deity. I love that. I don't like the timeline format, let's face it. I never really accomplished anything of note other than giving birth to my two wonderful, lovable, witty, and amazing sons, marrying my gracious, understanding, and precious husband, Brian, and accepting Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I've done very little. None of that requires an obituary space that I have to shell out money for. The truth is, This is my version. I just tried to do the best that I could. My crazy comments, jokes, complaints, I really did love people. The only thing that separates me from anyone else is the type of sin each of us participated in. I didn't always do the right thing or say the right thing. And when you came to the end of your life, those things you really regret, those small, simple things that hurt other people. My life was not perfect. I encountered many, many bumps in the road. I would totally scrap the years of my life, ages 16 to 20. Okay, maybe 14 to 22. Anybody can relate with that one? Yeah. I think that would be uh, eradicate uh, the fashion disasters, my, my hair mishaps from the 80s. We all had those. But mostly, I enjoyed life. Now, here's what I really love. Some folks told me that writing my own obituary was morbid, but I think it's great because I get a chance to say thank you. But here's how she left it. If you want to pay honor of my memory, then do this. Don't send money. Volunteer at a school, a church, or a library. Write a letter to someone. Tell them how they have had a positive impact in your life. If you smoke, quit. If you drink and drive, stop. Turn off the electronics and take a kid out for ice cream and talk to them about their hopes and their dreams. Forgive someone who doesn't deserve it. Make someone smile today. It's your power to do so. So here is an interesting thought. Instead of writing, as Larry said, a New Year's resolution, what if today you took some time and you wrote, your obituary. Now you're thinking, that is the weirdest thing you, I, that is just weird. And I was not drinking last night, I'm promising you that. But if you think with the end in mind, would that change our lives? If we approached every day thinking, you know, God, I want to live this day to the fullest because here's what we all would agree on we have no guarantees for tomorrow. How many of you in this room lost somebody you loved? this year, unexpectedly. Anyone? Okay. That's what life does. And so God gives us this precious time to cherish and to live every day as if it truly is a new day. Because God has new things in store for all of us as we go into 2017. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 43. We're really going to focus in on verses 14 through 19. But I want you to think about this one phrase. Remember, God's got this. Would you say that with me? God's got this. Now, I know that may sound a little bumper stickerish, if that's even a word, but it's truly really true. When you go through the most difficult times in your life, remember, God's got this. Now, it's interesting, I love the book of Isaiah. So I want to give you just a little background about the guy who wrote Isaiah 43. Isaiah is a Messianic prophet. Many scholars say that Isaiah is actually the Paul of the Old Testament, the Shakespeare of the prophets. And the book of Isaiah is like a mini Bible. Now, here's where it gets interesting. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. There is two definite divisions. The first 39 chapters talk about judgment, judgment, and being uh, under submission to Assyria. The last 27 chapters talk about freedom from the Babylonians, but more importantly, that there's a Messiah that will bring an amazing hope and wonder, a Savior for the entire world. Hope. Does that sound familiar? 39 chapters reminds me of the 39 books of the Old Testament. And the 27 chapters of hope and freedom Remind me of the message of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Twenty-six times Isaiah uses the word salvation. And he starts in chapter one with this powerful verse, verse one or chapter one, verse 18. My sin is like scarlet, but Lord, you shall make me what? Whiter than snow. That's Isaiah. Matter of fact, listen to his words in Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. But now, this is what the Lord says to you who have created you, O Jacob. He formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. In Hebrew, that word redeemed means he bought you back. You have summoned you by, we have summoned you by name. You are mine. Think about that. God knows you by name. He knows you by name. Now, this is old school, but years ago, Tony Campalo. Do anybody know who that is? Bald Italian guy, one of my favorite all-time speakers. And he used to always say, you need to know that God's got your picture in his wallet. Now, most guys today don't even have a wallet. But I want you to think how personal God wants a relationship with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, I will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God's got this. Now, let me get a little personal. I want you to listen to those phrases. When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the rivers, when you walk through the fire, how many of you in 2017 would describe seasons of this past year 2016, and that's exactly what you felt like you were doing. Uh, Maybe you felt at times like you were in a body of water and you couldn't get any air. Maybe you felt like you were caught up in circumstances, almost like a fast-moving river, and you feel like, you know what, my life is out of control. Or maybe you felt the heat of fire, pressure at work, a relationship pressure, something is bearing down on you, And here's God's tender voice saying, I love you, Israel. I am your Savior. God's got this. I don't know why. Every time I thought of that phrase, uh, I love movies. I've shared this before. One of my all-time favorites. It's in my top 10. I actually have a top 10. It's my top 10 list. And you're going to think I'm really weird. But you'll understand it. Anybody outside of Indiana, they don't understand this. When I saw the movie Hoosiers at Buskirk the first time, it was a spiritual experience. Now, I know you're going to say, most people are like, you have got to be, but I'm telling you, there was something more than just watching a movie. There was something about that movie that just, just really captured my heart. And there's a scene that I wanted to share with you. I knew the sermon probably wasn't going to be very good, so I thought, let's give you Hoosiers, okay? So just for a minute and a half, just kick back. And I want you to enjoy this. So, The second time I saw that movie, um, I was with a great, just a great friend from college whose father was an alcoholic. And uh, I should not have even go there. Anyway, I remember how that touched him. I just remembered. But, and that scene, what has always captivated me was the huddle and he drew up the play. And the players all stood up and they're like, we're not even going out there until you call the right play. Because the right play is, get the ball to Jimmy Chitwood. That's like, you know, Michael Jordan's here, might want to get him the ball. I mean, it's the same thing. Why? Because their confidence was, he's got it. And if he said he's going to make it, we're banking, he's going to make it. Now, that's a ball player. We're talking about our Heavenly Father. And when our Heavenly Father reaches out to us during these incredibly difficult times in life, we need to know and have confidence. He is with us. He really truly is with us. So what is it right now in your life that you need to turn over to God? That you need to say, God, you've got to take this. Because honestly, I've tried to do it by myself, and I thought I could handle this, but I cannot handle this alone. And that's exactly where God wants you to be. What is it? Is it your health is it your need to be in control of your mind or your body or your soul? Is it your job, the job that you love, that you fear you may lose, or a job that you just, just every day you can't stand going to work? Is it a relationship? Is it still battling? Last year, as you saw the, the ball drop in New York and everybody's going crazy and you start thinking about 2016 and that left you empty because you thought of somebody that you love, that you've lost? Is it a fear of past mistakes? Is it a fear of past failures? What is it that you need to literally turn to God and say, God, you need to take this. I need to know that you are with me, and he is with us. What is it you're willing to do to turn it over to God? All of us have past failures. All of us have things that we need to say, do over. Uh, back in the day, uh, my mom didn't like this, but our yard was the official neighborhood wiffle ball yard. And uh, so that meant you couldn't grow flowers. And we had war spots where the bases were. Uh, One of my favorite plays in wiffle ball was called the do-over. Anybody know what the do-over is? Yeah, it's when you you don't want to argue. It's too early to fight. And you'll say, dude, dude, shut up. Just do-over. Oh, whatever. And then, yeah, we were real mature. And then you'd have the do-over. Wouldn't it be great if we could have do-overs and everything in life? Like you have a fender bender and you go up and say, hey, do-over. You know, it doesn't work that way, does it? But we all need do-overs. We all need to realize we all have made mistakes. Now, here's the beauty. We can, we can move forward past the mistakes and failures. And there are some failures you can go back and there are do-overs. Uh, a few years ago, I don't know what got into me, but I, I t- and I shouldn't have done this, but I talked to a group of friends into going down to Lake Monroe on New Year's Day, 2013, and we did the polar bear plunge. Anybody else do that? How many in the room? I've got a few. Good, good. We've got three or four insane people. So um, I remember I was standing by Tobin Wingard, and the theme was superheroes, so I had a green Hornet T-shirt on. Tobin Wingard, I-, I wish I'd have brought the picture, was Thor, and he had this huge hammer that he had built. It was amazing. And so we... Uh, you know, it was it was that uh, winter that you know it, we had all the flooding, so you, you had to crawl down the rocks. I'm making excuses, and then you run out. Now, remember the key word is polar bear. What? Plunge. That means you go underwater. Well, the water is really cold. You know, so I remember running out there and I got wet up to here, and I'm like, this was a really bad idea. So I, I ran back, and Tobin plunged. I've got a picture of him is holding his hands out of the water, holding the hammer up. And he walks up to me and he's drying his hair and he looked at me and he goes, I don't see any water from this up. And I'm like, dude, didn't you see, man, I would, it's cold. And he goes, plunge, plunge, you know, and I'm like, totally, it's no big deal, you know, and he punched me. It was embarrassing. Anyway, <laughs> it aided me for the whole year. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's a terrible experience. I don't recommend it for any of you, really. But I did it the next year. I think Tony Lutz was with me the second time I did it. And I told Tony, I said, I'm not being rude, but as soon as this thing starts, I'm not talking to any human being. I don't even like humans right now. I have one mission. I'm going to dive in and I'm going to head out. If I die, I will die plunged, okay? <laughs> and I did it. Now, will I ever do it again? Not legally. Now, if somebody throws me in, or, but no. We can do that with so many areas of our life. You can look back over 2016, and there's probably some things you're like, you know what, I, I failed at that. I mean, i got to be honest, I did not do very well. But I really think I can go back. I think I can do this over. But maybe this time, this time, I will approach it knowing I want God on my side. A lot of times we fail simply because we don't trust God our life group went through a little bitty book that I highly recommend. And it's just, it's a great little book for 2017. It's called The Red Sea Rules by Robert J. Morgan. And it's a really tiny book. But here's one of the things that he said. So you find yourself in a difficult spot. Remember, you are there by God's appointment in His keeping, under His training, and for His time and all evidence to the contrary, there is no better place to be. Look at Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 18. This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses and the army and the reinforcements together, And they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. In the message, it reads this way. This is what God says, the God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path right through the pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies, they lie down and they can't get up. They're snuffed out like candles. Forget what happened. Don't keep going over old history. Isaiah said, do you remember when the Israelites literally stood looking out at a sea, totally confused, scared to death, thinking it can't get any worse than this. We have no food. We really at this point have no future. Everything's been We think taken away, even though we wanted freedom, we don't know that we wanted it this bad. Looking out at the Red Sea. Now imagine the fear. And then in the distance, they hear the horses and the chariots coming behind them. Now that is being trapped. It's interesting, if you go through that text, do you remember what Moses told the entire nation of Israel to do? You would have thought he said, pick up sticks, do something. You know, he probably saw Braveheart. Good time for a speech, you know. You know what he did? Be silent. Be still. Why? God's got this. It was never about you in the first place. The freedom that you have has nothing to do with you. God's got this. Once again, I want to ask, what is it in your life that you need to know God's got this? I remember the sermon series, a while back, we were uh, preaching on family, and I still remember uh, the message on being single. And several of you I contacted behind the scenes, and I, I didn't want to mess that up. I just wanted to know what is, what is it we need to know as a body about living the life of singleness. At least a couple times, this was the quote that I heard. You will never know Jesus is all you need, until Jesus is all you have. And that's really true. And sometimes when things seem to be falling apart, really it's just an opportunity for God to step in. It's a time for us to say, God, if you're all that I've got, then I've got all that I need. That's what God does. Psalms 55:22 says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip or fall. Psalm 68, 19, praise be to the Lord, to God, our Savior, who daily, who daily bears our burdens. And here's the good news in verse 19. God has a new thing for us. I've asked uh, one of my closest friends in the world uh, to share this with you, and that's Claudia Mitchell about a new thing.
1: Thanks, John. Boy, he gave me the best verse uh, of the whole book of Isaiah. The 19th verse is the best. Thanks, John. I love that. And I love being here this morning. Oh my gosh, to talk about new things. This place is amazing. You guys are amazing. The minute I got out of my car, I got a big hug. I came in the room. I had coffees ready. This place is great and it's growing like crazy. There's parent information tables, there's volunteer tables, there's, I I haven't been here for a while and the new things that are happening in this place just made my heart pound when I got, I I love coming here. I just love it from the minute I get out of the car. So thanks for having me this morning. And I love new things. I love uh, freshly painted rooms. The smell of a tiny baby right after a bath. The, The sunset of a new day or my favorite in the whole world, is a fresh-brewed cup of French-pressed coffee. Nothing like that. I just love new things. And this verse in Isaiah reminds us, and in fact, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, just popped in my mind, that it says God is on the throne making all things new. Right this minute. Isn't that an amazing thought for the new year? But this verse, Isaiah 43, uh, this 19th verse, I I love it so much. And I I love the way Isaiah, I loved all that John told us about Isaiah. I didn't know all that about the guy. What an amazing guy. I just knew he wrote this beautiful poetry. And I love the way he gets us interested at the very beginning of this verse by saying, uh, this is what the Lord says. Oh, okay, well, we'll pay attention if God is saying this. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Somehow that now it springs up reminds me of Tigger from Winnie the Pooh springing up. I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. I think this is my very favorite thing about following Jesus. He's all about new things. He's all about, like John said, do-overs and make-overs and second-chance people and taking broken hearts and making them whole. This is my favorite part about Jesus. Today is a new day. This is a new year. We are new people. That's my favorite thing. Did anyone get this um, Magnolia story book for Christmas? Anybody get this? Or anybody seen the show Fixer Upper? Ah, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. I know why you couldn't get the book because it's sold out. I had to look all over to get this for my daughter-in-law. She loves this show, Fixer Upper, and these two people, Chip and Joanna Gaines. The book is called Magnolia Story, and it's so, oh, you got, it's so good. I speed read it before I gave it to her, but don't tell her. (laughs) My daughter-in-law is all about taking old things and making them new. She loves fixing up furniture, and it's contagious. She got my son, John, I got something from the ReStore. Anybody been to the ReStore? Oh, love that place. But he got a table from the ReStore and redid it for me, and it's just beautiful. It's my favorite piece of furniture. Taking old things and making them new. We love that, don't we? We love all those TV shows right now about taking old things and making them new. Fixer Upper, Extreme Homemaker, uh, Project May, Biggest Loser, on and on, stories of old into new. Ken got me for Christmas uh, tickets to Beef and Boards to see uh, My Fair Lady, which is my very favorite musical, making something new. Um, I just love that. God's enduring love and grace is new every moment. It's new every minute. Grace every day, new, here, this moment, new, grace after grace. The Hebrew word for grace is karos, And it's a verb. It's active, present participle. And it translates peace to you today, love to you today, acceptance to you today, favor to you today, now, this minute, grace. It's free. It's available. It's for all of us. We don't have to do anything to get it or be anything to get it. It's new this moment and the next moment and the next moment and the next breath and the next breath. It's my favorite thing about following Jesus, grace. I love the way Max Lucado talks about grace. He says it's wild. It's like a riptide, wild and crazy and unending and never stops. It's grace upon grace. John chapter 1 tells us it's over and over and again. We can never exhaust it. Dallas Willard gives a beautiful explanation of grace. He defines it this way. Grace is God acting in your life, in your thoughts, in your actions, in your hopes and dreams, even in your rest, with unconditional love covering everything you are, everything you're not, and everything you hope to be. Isn't that amazing? Unconditional love, available, Right this minute. It's like um, raindrops from heaven covering this room, drop after drop after drop of grace, soaking us with unconditional love. We don't have to do anything or be anything. It's just for us and it's new and precious every moment right now, walking into this new year. So, what happens? Why did Christian people walk around so stuck, so worried, so sad, when this grace is available for us moment by moment? What stops us from just being soaked with it? It's sort of like we have a big umbrella. I was going to get an umbrella today, but instead I got a picture of one because Ken said, honey, you don't want to try to take an umbrella up there and open it. I can't picture that. But it's like we have this big umbrella we're carrying around as Christ followers that blocks us from that grace. You know what I mean? It's a blocking we have, and it's a worry. It's regrets over what we did. It's worry about things that might happen. It's feeling this, and I've noticed this in a lot of my friends and family, and even in myself, this um, sense of unworthiness. Are you with me? The sense of uh, a lack of self-esteem. I guess it's feeling not good enough. Anybody here not feel good enough? Or smart enough? Or thin enough? Or young enough? Or on and on and on? It makes an, an, an umbrella over us. Blocking the grace if we feel like throwaways. Or worse than that, worthless. I had somebody in my office this week so discouraged and depressed, she said, Claudia, I just feel worthless. I just feel like an old used handy wipe that you could throw away. God loves throwaways. He delights in worthlessness and second chances. God is about second chance people. In 1955, Elizabeth Henson was going through a closet, and she found an old green coat that was worthless to her. In fact, you know, she thought, I'm just going to toss this away, and she threw it into the trash. And her college-age son came home, saw the green coat, and thought, oh, I like this coat. He took it into his room and had a pair of scissors and needle and thread, and he transformed that coat, and that coat became a popular icon, in fact so popular I couldn't buy um, a picture of him even to show you this week, became a popular icon. He dated a pig. He played a banjo in a swamp. And he has a team of people around him called the Muppets. You know who he became? Kermit the Frog. (laughs) And so thanks to our media team, they found a picture of good old Kermit that came from a mom's thrown away coat. You know, we all have green coats. We wear them. We walk around with them. And God can take our green coats when we give it to him and make something amazing out of it. In fact, the Bible says something incredible that no eye is seen, no mind can see, no ear has heard what God can do with us when we give him our green coats. So as we walk into a new year, we need to, as Christ followers, embrace the grace that is ours this moment. We need to close our umbrellas, cast them aside, give God our green coats, and throw our arms out, and just let God's grace soak us. Soak us from the tip of our heads to our feet, so that everywhere we step, everywhere we walk, is going to be wet with the resurrection power of a risen Savior. A grace so filling us up into this new year, and so a part of who we are and what we do, and so new every moment that everything we touch Whether it's our jobs or our families or our work or our studies, everything we touch will bring glory and newness to God. And every word we speak will be drenched and soaked and marinated with the grace of a Father who Peter reminds us, gives us everything we need for life and health as we walk into this new year. So what does it take? What, what does it really take to close that umbrella? Okay, now it springs forth. How do we do it? How do we really close the umbrella? It just takes four tiny words, four little words, that if we put them into action, shuts our umbrella and helps us experience grace. Four tiny words. Let's see. The next right thing. Is that four? Yeah. The next right thing. Those four words. Do the next right thing. The next right thing is always available, whether it's something really small, like pick up a dirty sock, wash the dishes, wipe a runny nose, work in the nursery. That's not a little thing, is it? Or huge, like forgive somebody, or take a polar plunge, or work on that marriage, or get counseling. Whatever it is, the next right thing is always available. And when you do it, it moves you forward, step after step. You know, David talks about it in Psalm 23. I think David is thinking about the next right thing when he writes, yea, though I walk through the valley. We can't run through those bad times in our lives. I wish we could. Some of you here are facing really tough stuff coming up in 2017. I know you are. I've talked to you. It's there. The valley's there. You know it. Some of you are in the valley right now. Doggone, I wish you could run through it. I wish you could jump over it. I wish you could take a helicopter out of it. But David says, no, you got to walk. You got to do the next right thing and the next right thing and the next right thing. And as you do, you will walk forward and you don't walk alone. Like John said, God's got it. He's with you and for you every step you take. Yea, though I walk through the valley, I fear nothing because God's got it. So bless you as together we walk into 2017, opening in our arms to be soaked with God's grace and a new thing, closing our umbrellas and looking together to do the next right thing. Bless you for this coming year. Happy New Year.
0: Audie's an amazing teacher, isn't she?
1: I'll tell you. Yeah.
0: I just wanted to close with the West Side. And there's some new things coming. And uh, so I want you to know about why we're doing some of these things. Next Sunday, we'll start two services, 9-11. and Now, is that the getting in your comfort zone? Not at all is it easier no not at all why in the world would we do that well anybody if you study church growth will tell you when you hit 80 percent eventually you're going to start sliding because you're not making room and if newcomers come and there's no room to park or newcomers come and uh, they can't find a a seat uh, it may not seem like a big deal but that's a big deal it's a huge deal uh If parents bring kids and we don't have room for them in the rooms, how many times are they going to come back? So we have to get ahead of it. And that's why we're going to two services. One of the things you've heard me say time and time again is, are we willing to do whatever it takes to reach people wherever they are? we got to do whatever it takes. That's a new thing. And so we're going to be in this together. It's going to be a struggle, but we're going to do it together. Prayer. We're going to expand our prayer ministry and I'm really excited about this. Uh, we want to, through a prayer ministry, have prayer warriors that will be praying at home. We'll have those that are available here every Sunday morning. Uh, we're gonna expand those teams. And one of the things I'm really excited about Doug Sanders and a team, uh, Diana Sego, and there's some others, uh, they're actually building uh, seven foot prayer benches that are gonna be up here because it'll give you an option. I realized those pillows, I had people saying, uh, John, seriously, who had the pillow idea? You know? And I said, what's well, it's Jimmy Kane's fault. I thought it was a great idea, but we thought it would be so neat. Uh, some of you may have grown up with altars, but a place that throughout the service that you can pray at any time, we're excited about that. We've got an outreach plan. Uh, our goal is not that everything we do is about doing it here for one another. How are we going to help out in our community? So we're going to focus on four or five community services, ministries that are already existing, we're going to learn about these ministries. We're going to pray for the leaders, and then we are going to serve in those ministries. The first one that we share with you is on February 10th, and that's an amazing night, night to shine. And so you're going to hear throughout the year opportunities for us as a family to pray for these community outreach programs and ministries, but also how we can partner with them. And we're going to do a lot in our community this year. And? Uh, this is big news, and we're still working on it. Uh, we realize, space-wise, we want to do a lot more for our, our youth. So our junior high and high school students, one of, the, one of the problems is here, we don't have a space unless we meet in the bar. Not sure that's even legal, to be honest with you, to put our junior high and high school students in a bar. So we are uh, actively right now working with Karst Park. There's a really beautiful room over there. We're willing to count to the, to the county. Uh, fairground. We're willing to do whatever to create spaces uh, for our kids. We're going to do whatever it takes. And so you just need to buckle up. Uh, Those of you that are visiting today, if you're looking for a very laid-back church, this isn't for you. I hope you want to be a part of a place that you need to buckle up, that you want God to meet you and take you where you've never been before. I hope That's the kind of church you want to be a part of. Is that going to be easy? Absolutely not. That would be a lie if I told you that was going to be easy. But you know what I know? I know exactly what Claudia just shared. We're going to do the next right thing. We are going to do what God has called us to do. And you know what God has called us to do in 2017? I don't know. I know it's going to be a new thing. I know that. So in just a moment after I pray, Uh, We're going to have a time that we have every week, and that is communion. And then after communion, we are going to have a moment there of invitation, just an opportunity to let anyone here know that your new thing may very well be the most important thing, and that is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. One of the things that I shared a few months ago is on the first Sunday of every month, uh, during the winter months, we're always going to have the baptistry ready to go. Okay? And so it's here the very first Sunday of the year. So let me pray for you before we enter our communion time. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you for all that you have done. Be with our hearts. Some of our hearts are heavy this morning, and Lord, we know that you have a new thing, but it's hard because we want to look back. And uh, there's a lot of pain some of us have been through in 2016, but Lord, through the pain, we've learned one valuable, critical lesson that you're with us. Thank you for your presence and for your love.